It is another week and another edition of the Pat Richter Show right here on 100.5 ESPN, the ESPN app, and Wisconsin On Demand. How you doing, everybody? Hope you're enjoying your Saturday morning. Appreciate you hanging out with us. I'm Alex Strofe alongside the man, the myth, the legend. Actually, no myth about this legend. Uh, he's the former UW athletic director. Pat Richter with me here on ESPN Madison. Pat, how are you, buddy? Good. Are we connected now? Are we in good shape? I think we're in good shape. I lost you there for a minute. I lost you there for a minute and wasn't sure if we were still on. But uh, good to be with you again and uh, lots of good things to talk about. Yeah, there's plenty to talk about. We've got uh, we've got a new rivalry in, in college football to get to that unraveled this week, uh, which is just hilarious. We'll talk uh, name, image, likeness. As we always do, we'll wrap up uh, with some Brewers talk as well as uh, they're coming off of a a Keston Hero walk-off? I never thought I'd say those words this week, but here we are. Uh, but I do want to start, Pat, with the sad reality that the title reign and defense is over for the Milwaukee Bucks as they lose last week uh, in, in a seventh game against the Boston Celtics on the road uh, at TD Garden in Boston. A really fun series. Giannis Antetokounmpo was just freaking incredible, one of the greatest series we've ever seen played by an NBA basketball player on that stage but it just wasn't enough without Chris Middleton so the Bucks losing seven to Boston and the title defense does come to an end here in 2022 Pat uh like I said obviously doesn't help you don't have Chris Middleton Giannis was terrific but it just was not enough no and, it, and it, at this point they got beat by a, a team that was better at that point and uh Tatum was just unstoppable and uh you know, you kind of like this wake up the sleeping bear a little bit, the sleeping giant. I mean, ever since that Horford got his good game, it has been a very tough road uh, for the Brewers, or excuse me, the Bucks. And uh, you know, Giannis gave it everything he had, and it's just a, it's a shame that he couldn't have been with full complement. But everybody has their injuries, and that's part of the game. And it's unfortunate that it happened at that point in time. But but I just. It was going to be very, very difficult. I mean, most of the road teams have won the games thus far, and for the Bucks to go back into Boston and and have to take them on again, you just thought it was going to be at some point it's going to just flip, and it really went big time. And but they, I think the sixth game was the one that really kind of they did a job on them, and and but Tatum was just had an answer for everything. The three-point shots were just weren't falling for the Bucks, and uh, and it's really just uh, a shame you couldn't have it. But it's supposed to be tough. It's not supposed to be easy. And these teams that uh, repeat year after year, and like the Lakers and the Bulls and back in those days, and and with Golden State, uh, you can see how difficult it is. But uh, yeah, and I think they missed uh, was it Tucker? Was yes, PJ Tucker yeah. last year. Yep, and he. Uh, he kind of complimented that team as well. Portis did a great job. Uh, Matthews did a great job for a guy his age and uh, defense and things like that. And I mean, you don't have to overhaul everything, but everybody had a role. But Middleton, you know, people forget that he was the guy that put it away for him last year with a couple of shots. And uh, and they just uh, it was a bad time to be gone. And uh, you just really couldn't uh, have any cons- consistent scoring. Beyond uh, Giannis and and I, I think that they were starting to get uh, a little bit uh, tired of the driving down the the, the lane and uh, getting in the way. And I mean, it may not be a foul on him, but it may be more so than not. But uh, it's going to be taking an awful lot of physical 
uh, effort to just yeah. keep doing that, pounding it and get end up on the floor. I mean, that's got to be just difficult to do. And so uh, hopefully they'll be able to do some things in the off season. We're going to beef things up and, uh, and strengthen where they got some weaknesses and some backup and uh, give it a run next year. But it's, it's a long time to wait to start all over again. Yeah, it certainly is, but uh, a rest may be well overdue for the Bucks, right? I, I, I heard the theory that they were just burnt out, which is fair, right? I think you think about last season, the finals didn't end until you know mid towards the end of July, and then Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton go play in the Olympics, and then you're starting the season again. So not, not a big break last season just due to the, uh, the different timing with the pandemic, and then there was the Olympics, as I mentioned. Uh, so not a huge or not a lot of breaks, I guess, for the Milwaukee Bucks last postseason, uh, which which is unfortunate, but it is part of the game. It is it is what uh, you know. It's the champions uh, curse, if you will. You, you play longer than everybody else. You start at the same time and you had Olympic players on your squad who really didn't get a break. So uh, they get a well-earned break here uh, after after the loss to the Celtics. But I do want to go back to Giannis, Pat, because I don't think I can under understate uh, or overstate rather how great he was in that series. I mean, it was seriously one of the uh, craziest performances I remember seeing. And you, you've been a Wisconsin resident most of your life outside of uh, obviously some of the, the years you spent in Washington. Um, and you've seen some of these Bucks teams. You've seen the, the trials and tribulations of those 90s and 2000s teams. Um, you know, Giannis ranks, I imagine, right at the top of, of greatest Bucks players of all time alongside Kareem, I'd assume, right, in your mind? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's such a different game. When you think back of Oscar Robertson and Kareem and uh, people like that, that Bobby Danridge and uh, and the players that really covered the key parts of the championship team in the 50 years ago or whatever it was. And uh, and you see it today. I mean, you see what Giannis does. I mean, he he grabs the rebound. He, he drives the basket. He hits a three. He waits to take the ball out. He t- he gets the ball in. He takes the ball up to the court. I mean, it's like one-stop shopping. I mean, he does everything. And then, uh, and I, I think the thing that really, if if you look back at it, the way that they played in the old days, I think he would have been probably even more dominant back then than he is today because they were so sticklers in not having a zone defense and playing a certain kind of uh, system and things like that. And you couldn't have people dropping back and kind of crashing into the uh, the lane and and closing it off because then you'd be calling it a zone and things like that. And I think he would have been even more dominant. But it's just amazing, even when he put, seems like he's putting everything he's got on the floor and playing as hard as he can. There just seems to be another level. I mean, it's as tough as it is to play the way he is all the time. There's just an extra gear when all of a sudden he gets mad and and somebody goes to the bucket and he goes in the slam and and blocks a shot or or uh, plays a good defense or something like that. He always seems to have a different uh, another level of uh, expertise to play and and he's just a unbelievable player. I mean, you can't imagine back when we were playing basketball years ago or whatever that you'd ever see somebody like that. I mean, it was it was a it was a wonder to see somebody dunk a basketball back in the, the early 60s or late 50s. And whatever. I remember we had a guy named Ron Jackson in Wisconsin, and he was about 6'3 or 4, 
and he could dunk as as good as anybody and come up underneath the basket and, and slam it down and I mean it was we just sit there in awe. I mean you just couldn't believe it. Or of course you didn't have the three point shot. You had a set shot and then the jump shots came in and things uh-huh. like this. I mean it's just amazing. I've seen all that over the period of time, but nothing like Giannis. And I think that more and more you start to hear people talk about how the fact is that he maybe the best basketball player you know in the in the NBA right now. I mean we've got Doncic and Djokic and and uh, Steph Curry and all the other players, but he may be the best uh, of all of them all the way around. And so hopefully uh, that contract will do what it was intended to do, is keep him around a long time because you'd hate to see him go somewhere else. And I, and I just think that he's the kind of person that doesn't really, you know, make much difference to him. I mean, he seems to be happy with the family and things like this. And, and now it's just a question of... Uh, sorting out what you need to do to make a better run next year in terms of expanding your staff. And I, I was kind of interested to see the uh, they had a, a piece in the paper, I think it was, or on the uh, Internet about who are the highest-paid players in each of the teams. And you go around and see some of the players that, that the Bucks had before, Malcolm Brogdon, for example, yeah. you know, highest on one team. And so... They 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 do have a propensity to to get the right kind of people in the system, and so that's what you have a little confidence in. Hopefully, they can keep that that uh, front office together and uh, and make a good run at a couple people this uh, this off season. But uh, but that's that's now down the down the path, and uh, hopefully can get beyond the, the loss of the series and uh, and get past the tragedy in Milwaukee in the, in the sixth game. And so that was uh, that was just kind of a precursor, I think, of what's to come. It was things weren't going well for the Bucks at that point in time. Yeah, no doubt about it, and that's a great point, right? I mean, now, now, Pat, you can tell you've worked in athletics because you're already focusing on what's to come, right? I mean, the loss is already in the rearview mirror. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I hope they go get out and get a shot creator because that's what they, they quite evidently missed. Uh, so much in that in that Boston series, so we'll see. But uh, you still like the team's chances, obviously. When when Chris Middleton returns and you have that that core three of, of him, Giannis, and Drew Holiday intact, uh, Pat, I, I kind of want to pivot, but I want to stay in the NBA because Johnny Davis uh, was watching the television very closely on, on Tuesday as the NBA draft lottery uh, occurred. The ping pong balls were chosen, uh, and Johnny Davis looking to be. Uh, maybe the highest draft pick ever from the University of Wisconsin. As right now, it seems as if he's fallen in the the eight to ten area on most mock drafts. So it's so about mid lottery. Uh, but before I ask about Johnny Davis and his draft process, Pat, I just want to ask about the NBA draft lottery. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed by any means, but I've never really understood it. I mean, I get it's a night of entertainment. I get it's extra ratings for the league. I just don't really understand the the lottery. What, what, what are your thoughts on that whole process? Well, I think it's a poor man's version of the NFL uh, situation. It's just <laughs> you, you get a lot of people don't want to see uh, front office people up there just and the number two pick coming in at the number five pick is going to be the Sacramento Kings. You know, I mean, there's no noise, there's no excitement and things like this. I mean, I had forgotten kind of. I hadn't really followed that closely in terms of how that system worked, and uh, and so then I was thinking, well, okay, here's the, way, the order of the draft, and you, the obvious obvious thing would be you say, okay, now here 
with the first pick they take so and so and they just continue on now you get that and you say well, what why did I just spend the time there I mean I could there's no big excitement about that except for the fact of who gets the first choice and then that's it's kind of an internal thing into the uh, organization and uh and so then now you got to wait to what June 23rd or 24th I think it is and so obviously they've got to do a lot of their homework and things like that but it seemed like you know, it would be a little bit tighter time frame, but I, I agree with you. It's just there's no excitement to it. It's uh, and they try to jump bunch it up a little bit and turn with with some of the former players and things like that. And uh, but most of the front office people, uh, the the guys that got the first choice, uh, smiled. It's like you know, when it come in third place in a Miss America contest or something, you know, because they make make a smile out of a bad situation. Was a, we <laughs> uh, we had all these chances to to get number one choice and we get number twelve, and so that it just there's just no zap to it and things like that. And so, uh, but you know, I think for Johnny Davis's concern, it's pretty hard to pick it right. He's probably eighth to tenth pick and. I don't know that he's dropped anymore, but I still think his his, his value is going to be in in the being as young as he is and uh, and with some of the skills he has. And sure, sure, he's going to have to work on some things, but it's rare that you get players that come out of the college ranks that can move right in and step right into the starting role and have got all the tools in the toolbox to play well. And he's he's going to have to, as we've talked before on the show, he's going to have to get a a three-point shot. He's going to have to take care of the ball a little bit better. He's good at defense, but you know now he's going to be where at six-five. You could maybe put him on a couple of the bigger guys in the Big Ten, but in the NBA, you're not going to have that luxury. He's going to have to guard some of those small, quicker guards and things like that. And that'll be that'll be a little bit difficult situation. But I, but you're certainly going to take a chance on a. That has had that kind of improvement over the last couple of years, and still uh, is only you know probably 20 years old or whatever it is. He's got a long career ahead of him, and uh, but I, you know I think that you compare him against the Devin Harris and people like that, and and Devin was a pretty smooth uh, operator and uh, didn't have the the breakout as such as the Johnny Davis did in terms of bang he just jumped incrementally in terms of what happened last season. Yeah. But uh, Devin was was pretty well uh, schooled in uh, what it took to be an NBA player. And uh, and uh, if Johnny can approximate that, I think he'd be fine. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And Devin Harris, the number five overall pick. So uh, drafted likely a little bit higher than, than Johnny will be, but but essentially the same ballpark, right? Frank Kaminsky was a number nine overall pick. So I imagine that's that's right around the range where Johnny will go, so he'll have the opportunity to contribute very early on, I imagine. But to your point, I, th- I think a year or two of, of you know hard development, whether that's you know I, I assume in the NBA, if not the G League, but I but I doubt that for a high first round pick, he, he just needs to develop in that three point shot, a little bit more consistency from outside. But I imagine he'll be able to provide, right? You can't teach athleticism, Pat, and that that was fully on display for for Johnny Davis this year at Wisconsin. So excited to see next month uh, when we'll be celebrating like we did a few weeks ago with the NFL draftees uh, where Johnny Davis goes in the NBA draft. We are rolling. They may may try to package him, too, and and make a deal with somebody that maybe does as a niche play or, you know, like – 
maybe the warriors or someone like that where they don't need necessarily need someone to do all the things necessary but can fill a niche role and uh at this point this is kind of the uh you know hold your cards tight to your vest and uh see and don't believe what you read in the papers and things like this because it's always going to be different very, very true. Rolling on here on the Pat Richter Show on your Saturday morning. Alex Strofe alongside former UW Athletic Director Pat Richter. Now, Pat, this is where we get into the fun stuff. So Thursday morning, an article came out saying Nick Saban said Texas A&M, quote, bought, end quote, its top-ranked signing class. And Texas A&M's head coach, Jimbo Fisher, called a press conference and essentially called Nick Saban, quote, a narcissist, end quote, um, and uh, said, quote, go dig into his past. So we have a fun little rivalry brewing between Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M and Nick Saban at Alabama. And this comes, of course, all because of name image likeness deals uh, going on at Texas A&M um, and, their, and their number one recruiting class. So we've been saying for months, Pat, this is, this is getting messy. Uh, you know, it's it's getting out of control. We need more rules. We need more regulations. And now we've got coaches scrapping. Two of the biggest names, in fact, scrapping one another. And, and Nick Saban, of course, of Alabama. And again, Jimbo Fisher with Texas A&M. This is wild, Pat. What a, what a crazy story this is. Uh, what, what's your immediate reaction to the back and forth between these two? Well, I just was amazed. I mean, usually this is, you're right, they keep it within the a house here and don't really say much and and I think that uh, from what Jimbo Fisher said you know I, I I tend to kind of take him at his word because you get into a pissing match with, uh, with Nick Saban you better have all your ducks in a row because he's going to be <laughs> kind of the, the big big guy on campus so to speak and uh, and so I think he, you know he probably speaks his pretty mind and pretty what it is. And Fisher does that, and I think today they might escalate a little bit more because uh, I think I heard one of the broadcasts that Fisher referred to him as despicable and uh, to go dig into his backyard and things like this. And so uh, either they're trying to have a dog and pony show for the SEC or something like that because. Uh, these two guys are obviously that's going to be a highest rated football game if they play in the fall, and uh, and I think that you know Saban up to this point, you know, what uh, Fisher's inferring is that they used to do some of these things at Alabama, and whether Fisher did them or not is, is kind of beside the point because. Nick is, is for Nick to say that is really kind of unusual. He must be really feeling it a little bit that this is kind of getting out of hand. The problem is, is that when you say there need more regulation and all those things. Really, it doesn't doesn't do much good because it's it's clear where everybody's headed with this right now is the fact that the states are going to control these things and the NCAA can say all they want about this is you can't do this, you can't do that, whatever. But if the state state uh, laws pre, uh, allow this to happen, that's going to be the controlling factor. And I saw something this week. We were talking about the the NCAA and uh, the regulations and things like this. And they aren't going to have much to be able to say if the fact the state state laws allow this to happen. And so 
how they get a hold of that is going to be a real tough job. And uh, I mean, it's just almost impossible because you know you got to deal with the Congress and people like that. And we we've really seen an awful lot of success coming out of the things that they handled. And so this is another one that uh, really is going to be very difficult to uh, to to control. We've talked about it, the, the, the genie being out of the bottle. Well, it really is, and now it's gotten real nasty. And so when you start talking about, you know, the guys that are making seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars in the coaching staff, then you can see why it's, uh, they're going to pick up their ears when somebody starts pecking away at their fiefdom, so to speak. And, uh, and I think that there's probably a lot of people out there that, what Fisher said about saving, we were nodding their head. Yeah, 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 happy to be it, but certainly don't want to get into the fray. And uh, and I think that one of the ridiculous things was there was a quarterback. They named the quarterback this year that supposedly has an eight million dollar deal. Yeah, and uh, and so you can say what you want about uh, what regulations are going to cover it. The NCAA certainly they try to take a whack at uh, setting up some guidelines and things like this. But it's clear that the lawyers and people like that have gotten involved, and it's going to boil down to you know, what they've got on the state books in terms of laws that regulate this, and how you do deal with it so that basically all laws in the states that are you know, we're talking about here are the same, and that's going to be a real mess. And so whether they get federal federal legislation, I'm not sure, because then you're going to get maybe antitrust issues, it gets right back to the same old thing about the terms of trying to inhibit the amount of money that a player can make. And so it's going to be very difficult to uh, to straighten that out, and uh, and I think it's going to get really ugly before it gets any better. Really well spoken, as you always are, Pat, on the NIL situation. But this whole Saban and uh, you know Jimbo Fisher thing is just. It's just mind-boggling to me. I've I've never seen anything public like this, or so public like this, in college football that that I can recall off the top of my head. It just feels so personal between Fisher and, and say yeah. Does anything come to mind quite like this? Because I mean, I read some of the the, the things Jimbo Fisher said earlier. But I'll read one more. Jimbo said, I don't cheat. I don't lie. If you did, my old man slapped me across the face. Maybe someone should have slapped Saban, right? Like, you you, you don't see stuff like this ever. I, I don't remember anything quite this personal being so public in college football. And as no. you mentioned earlier, Pat, October 8th, circle that one on your calendar as A&M goes to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be nasty down there, and uh, but you're right. I'm I'm not I can't recall anything that comes even close to this. Uh, you get some people complaining about something this and that, whatever. But when you start talking about, you know, the credibility and uh, in terms of uh, character of people, in terms of being a, you don't cheat and things like this, and and so there's probably a number of people where you say, oh, well, yeah, sure, but I that's that's pretty public to say that, and pretty widespread to say you don't cheat and things like this and and uh, because there's people around that uh, probably disagree with that and and so it's going to get into a credibility issue you can't imagine what they'd be saying in terms of recruiting the same player what they say about each other that would be real (laughs) be nice to be a a fly on the wall in that conversation and see trying to talk to a kid to have you come to your school and talking about the coach at the other school. <laughs> and a lot of people don't want to want to hear that. They, just, they want their life simple. They don't want to have to deal with all the drama and things like this. And so, but I, uh, 
and I think it's kind of a surprise because it's the first time that anybody's taken a shot at uh, Nick because uh, he's pretty much been untouchable and uh, and now that things are changing a little bit and and when uh, Texas A&M is going to be the top recruiting class in the country and things like this, that's kind of stepping on his turf. And he's had a pretty good, pretty good run for the number of years he's been on there in, in Alabama. And so anybody stepping into that turf, be kind of buyer beware. You better better have your ducks in a row when you get into that situation. Yeah, true that. If you're gonna if you're gonna come for Saban, have your ducks in a row. I mean, no doubt about that. Yep. So. Uh, you know, jumping back into name, image, likeness here, because obviously it, it strongly applies to the situation. Uh, th- there's reports that, you know, some of these top recruits going to either A&M or Alabama, both of the above, as we talked about a little bit last week, they have pretty much handshake deals in place for multi-million dollar deals. And for these coaches to act like they have not had anything to do with that, I think is a little... Um, you know, a public attempt to save face almost, if you will, Pat. And I just, I don't really understand it after, you know, the reports that, that you and I have talked about in past weeks come out. Yeah, it's a part of college sports. So why are we knocking people to, for using it to their advantage if there's not rules in place? It's just, it's very back and forth and almost seems hypocritical to me by both of these guys. Well, there's no question about it. There's, it is hypocritical, and it's uh, it's gotten to be almost real petty. And I think this, you can see how it brings in a whole different group of people. If all of a sudden they say, "Well, this person's going to X Y Z school because A B C school couldn't come up with uh, the right kind of a package," and, that, and the boosters get up tight about that and say, "Well, that's embarrassing. We can't do that. We got to do this," and so then they sip it up a little bit more. Uh, to the next level, and uh, and so it's a lot of people are going to be a little unhappy about saving face and uh, being a little embarrassed. And in the states too, there's different. You can imagine the legislative bodies in Texas and, uh, and Alabama are a lot more different, difficult to not as difficult to deal with as the state of Wisconsin, for example. Maybe California might even be more liberal in that respect. And so, so it's to get all, I don't know how many states there would be in the Power Five conferences, but a lot of them, to get all of them on the same page, it's going to be very, very difficult. And uh, nobody wants to save face in this situation. And I think Jay Wright, the basketball coach of Villanova, probably was the smartest one of the bunch in saying, yeah, I'm going to time to retire, even though I'm young, about 60 it's time to get out of this system, and I think he see the handwriting on the wall. It's going to be nothing but a, a mess. And when you start getting people into name calling, that's probably the uh, the most difficult situation and probably the least savory situation that you're going to find. Let's dive more into those state regulations and rules that maybe are, are, are coming shortly here on the Pat Richter Show on 100.5 ESPN. Alex drove Pat Richter with you here on your Saturday morning. So, Pat, you mentioned, right, obviously it's getting a little bit dicey, and now, you know, we, we you, you've talked about it to plenty. We, we had Barry Alvarez on ESPN Wisconsin over the course of the last two weeks. He mentioned there's just really no guidance, right, and, and we need something, right? We need some rules somewhere. So, as you mentioned, right, it, it might get to a state level. So, what are what are some of your expectations on maybe a, a timeline or, or or maybe some of those conversations that that could happen here in the near future? 
Well, I, I'm not real confident that they can come to any kind of rationale here. When you start talking about state legislating and uh, trying to get them uh, the scheduled in to do, make the rules and regulations and then somebody else is going to tweak it, it's going to be a constantly evolving situation, which I'm not sure that the legislators want to get involved in, but they're going to be forced into this. There may be some states that don't even want to touch it at all. And, uh, and I think that the fact that they said... Uh, you know, in terms of regulating and guidelines and things like this, I mean, we used to rethink of it. And this is this week of perhaps the most little more discussion regarding the the state laws and things like this, and they're starting to peel that back to the cloak of that whole situation and saying, well, if that comes down to the state regulators, then there's an awful lot of work that has to be done. And so now what you have is situations where people are doing things right today that uh, maybe at the end of the situation are permitted or maybe not permitted, what are you going to do with them? Is, is it a only proactive versus a reactive situation? And are they not going to be able to deal with them in terms of what they're going to do in terms of treatment and regulations? What role does a con- conference play in this whole situation? I mean, I don't have a great deal of confidence. I think what's going to happen probably is these football and the Power Fives are going to probably break off and try to deal with it on their own basis. But any, from what I can gather, any type of regulation and restrictions with respect to the ability of the student-athletes to profit off of their name and nil and everything else really depends on the states and how they view it. Yeah, it, it really is fascinating because you say how they view it. It's very subjective, right? Like we talked yeah. about it a little bit off the air. We're not going to have continuity among, you know, just for example, two random states, Michigan and Wyoming, right? Like, you're going to have yep. different rules in those states, or Alabama and Wisconsin, right? I, I just, it blows my mind that it's gotten to the level where that is the case, that, that we're going to have different rules in different areas and different, you know, options for different universities. It, it's just, if we're going to roll this thing out, which we have now for about a year, which, again, we're all in favor for players getting compensated on, on, on their name and likeness. I think that, that that's well overdue. We just need rules in place. We need, we need guidelines in place. And now we're so deep into the mud, there's not a necessarily a right path to go down. And that, that's, I don't want to say frustrating for me because it, it doesn't affect me very much, but it is really fascinating from an outside perspective seeing how you know whether it gets to the state level or these universities even if they're going to implement rules or the conferences how they operate and in which way they decide to trend because again i just i i don't see this getting much prettier before it gets uglier right i mean does that make sense pat you agree with that Absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. Whether it, whether it ever has a chance to get pretty, I'm not doubtful that that can even happen. And uh, the, the situation could be very simple. All these fragments that are out there go their own way. The conferences may go their own way. I mean, maybe in the SEC, for example, the state legislative bodies are of the same like mind. Maybe the Big Ten, they're of a like mind. And it kind of goes... All this business we've been talking about, the college football playoffs, well, we need to expand, whatever, in terms of that. I mean, this now kind of blows that out of the water, saying, well, first of all, you're playing on a level playing field. And so that's got to be looked at first. 
and foremost because it's not a level playing field. It's not right now, and it's getting getting worse. And so, I mean, do you really realistically have a chance to compete at that level if your laws are such that uh, you can't uh, get the same kind of people into the the, the system in the in your college? I mean, I think that's really it's kind of a kind of cart before the horse type of situation. And I think that that really questions the, the validity of you know, the championship game in some respects because it's not going to be an apples-to-apples apples comparison. Yeah, it's a really good point. And uh, it's it just it's so unique. It, really, <laughs> it, yeah. it makes my brain hurt a little bit, Pat. i got to be honest. I think I'm <laughs> developing a little bit of migraine here as we chat through this. Um, it's... Uh, it's so it's so odd. So let let me ask you this. I've asked you this before, but if you're Chris McIntosh today, I mean, what 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 is your goal? I guess you know you get a little bit of a summer period where there's not you know obviously athletics really happening outside of practices and whatnot and, and weight training at the university. Are, are you you know are you calling in the uh, the full staff? Are you having conversations with the conference? Like if you're in Chris McIntosh's shoes, Pat, what's your next move? Well, I think you really got to find out from a conference perspective what's happening in the conference because that's uh, your immediate uh, competition and whatever. And I think if some people are not going to willing to share this and that, and whatever, I think that you have to start looking at open records. What's the, what's the what's the legislative perspective over at the, the different states and things like this? I think you've got to try to keep your your competition in the Big Ten as close as possible in terms of knowing exactly what they're trying to do and uh and what what that how that washes out in terms of the federal level and the state level and it, it that's a very difficult thing to do i mean not everybody's going to want to open up their their records and what's going on this and that and whatever and and it's going to come out by hearsay with respect to the representatives of the student athletes and and public records and things like this as to what the deals will look like and then you, you know, it's almost going to be every time a new deal comes up, it's going to have to be walking it down to the. Geez, we don't have that on our books. So we'll walk down to the state legislative yeah. and start another, another, another recession to get the laws passed. And I think it's going to be a, kind of a little bit tight with respect to the state legislators in terms of wanting to do different things like this. And that's just not what they're in the business for. Not to be the the regulator as such. It's going to be a constant, uh, it's almost like the tax code. It's going to be something that changes about every two minutes. And uh, every way the book rule book in the NCAA changed was times every time somebody did something that was not according to the book, then it put in a new regulation. And, uh, and now there's just everybody's doing the same thing, trying to find the edge. And that's going to be almost impossible to get gauge. Well said, as always, Pat. Uh, you, you would do a much better i'm really glad i'm not an athletic director right like i don't know that i'd ever want to be because i think again i I mentioned my headaches earlier (laughs) but (laughs) wow i I can't imagine i mean could you imagine actually being the ad right now pat during all this it's it's and again i I think overall there's probably debatably more more positive than negatives to take away with this but there's a lot of minutiae going on uh, with this being so new yeah, it really is, and I think that with respect to, in some respects, my mind tells me this would be kind of fun to, to deal with the problem solve and things like this, but uh, with very little you know, momentum that was moving in one direction and a right direction, 
it's going to be just a virtual impossibility. And you be, sometimes you're going to be out on an island yourself in terms of wanting to do something. And so you can't afford to to wait and see what's going to happen because then it's too late to do anything and you cost yourself a you know a chance of being successful in a particular year and, it's, and it's, you can't afford not to. And so that's the situation. There's not going to be it's hard to say there's going to be leaders in this direction and in this whole effort because it's uh, it's always somebody trying to find the edge, which is a little bit unusual. No doubt about it. All right, Pat, let's wrap up uh, on a more positive note because uh, I, I my head hurts too bad. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'll let you mention it. Mine started to hurt too. Yeah, right. I imagine. I imagine thinking about all all the, uh, the chaos that that Macintosh is uh, going through these days. I just I, I am not envious of of his job. So let's talk a little Milwaukee Brewers. They have been, uh, well, is terrific too much of an overstatement, Pat, for, for how they've started off this season? Well, I think it started off good. It certainly wasn't like anything last year, but they, they have the ability to, I thought anyway, to be in any game that they uh, played. And, and because when I mean, you top to bottom and you got Lorenzo Kane batting ninth and people like that, and if you just got to stay healthy, Adamus now is kind of banged up, and they bring up Hira, and Hira is a hero. He he had not had a great night up to that point, but hit the ball fairly solid. But that last one, he it was just amazing. It was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. The broadcasters talking about, well, he's never had a walk-off, da da, this and that, whatever. And he is—they he crushed that ball, and uh, it was good to see him come back. Because I think before nothing against Burns, didn't have a great deal of confidence. Freed seemed to be pitching well, and uh, they just kept pecking away at it a little bit. And it's good to see Yelich is hitting the ball. Wong is always tough, and uh, and I think they kind of pointed out that the, the, I like the the. Uh, the extra inning type situation where they put a man on second base. And uh, it just goes to show you that uh, sometimes that's a given. It'll give you one, one, one run, but we can score two and whatever. And uh, and it does make for excitement a little bit. It makes you look a little bit differently in terms of whether you bunt, whether a ball on the ground, where do you go, things like this. And so, but they've, you know, they've, they've not played the toughest teams uh, in the, uh, Major League Baseball yet, and they've got that to come. And so, the, the, I think June is going to be a really difficult month, which is, which kind of shows that they play some of the better teams. And yet, maybe this is a team that the Brewers that plays better against the top talent, and sometimes against the, the lesser teams, they play down to their level. So, uh, but they still got the good pitching, and uh, for the most part, the the uh, bullpen has been very solid and. Uh, get Adamas back quickly and they have a lot of flexibility to move some people around in the infield and in different positions and Telez has done a great job and uh, and so some people want to say stick with the one lineup and whatever but it's always righties against lefties and so on and so forth and so I think Council's done a pretty good job this, thus far this year Keep your head above water at the top of the list and get in the playoffs and anything can happen at that point. Bingo, right? October means anything can happen. Just get in, and that obviously uh, you have a chance, but it's still so early. So uh, yeah. I, I do want to ask you about uh, you know, Keston Hira, who you briefly mentioned there, who hit the walk-off home run on Wednesday. Uh, his story is so unique, right? I mean, he's been with the Brewers several years now, but, but hasn't really been able to find a, a groove. Uh, goes down to the minors for a couple weeks, 
uh, and then gets pulled up, as you mentioned, uh, with Adamas out on Wednesday morning. And Wednesday afternoon, he's hitting a walk-off home run, his only hit of the game, but the biggest hit of the game uh, by anybody. Uh, what is your, uh, what's your evaluation, uh, Pat, uh, of Keston here? I know he's, he's a little short for first base, maybe not the ideal position for him, but uh, you know, see, seeing him hit that big home run on Wednesday to give him a win over the reigning world champions uh, was, was a pretty cool moment. Well, I think probably the uh, thing that popped up there was in the back of your mind is saying, well, now that the National League's got a uh, designated hitter, that, that's a good spot for him. I mean, trading a, like Telez was a designated hitter yesterday right. or in the Brewers game, uh, and, uh, and putting him at uh, the right-handed uh, designated hitter. He's still not as consistent as you'd like to be. Uh, he, he hits for power, no question about it, but there are times when he just is fanning at some bad pitches and you wonder, how could you miss that one or whatever? So I, I'm optimistic and I'm in, uh, I always think that it's going to happen, but it just hasn't. And I mean, that's just, and then the longer it goes, obviously, it's become more worrisome. So uh, I, 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 maybe this is, this is the trigger point. I don't know if sure, but uh, I think that he's uh, certainly a valuable player at this point in time. And, but his career may be one that's kind of studded by up and down to the minors and, and may end up losing a guy like that after a certain number of uh, transfers up and down. You get, I guess you're limited and whatever. So uh, uh, I'm still optimistic, but uh, not been uh, overly uh, excited thus far. So everything's in spurts. It just seems like it's brrr, brrr, we don't see much for a couple of days, and then, and then there's another little spurt. So... Uh, so far, I'm sure that they're, the guys are disappointed. He hasn't been consistently good, and it's amazing. It's a big level from that uh, AAA level, so to speak, to the major leagues and the pitching and things like this, and that's what that he hasn't overcome yet at this point. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And um, you know, with the DH, you know, it's it's been interesting to see the the different lineups council has used this year. And on Wednesday, obviously, Tellez, as you mentioned was in that spot, but they've used a variety of guys, and it's been fun to see kind of, you know, the, the different choices they make with, with the new flexibility with, with the designated hitter. Are you a fan of that, Pat, the DH and the NL? I don't know if I've asked you that before. Yeah, I am. I, I guess we, we always try to think that the, the pitchers are going to hit, and occasionally you'll go run across a pitcher that really is productive in terms of base hitting. And uh, other than just bunting and then falling off a third strike bunt, and uh, I think it's it's just a better way to do it. You don't take a chance on getting a pitcher run because you always used to say if you got a had to run out of ground ball before he goes out and pitches, he's a little bit gassed and things like this. I think it makes for a better game, and uh, and it's just uh, I think it's a good part of the game right now. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think it's I think it's a good add to the NL, but uh, you know some of the purists aren't, aren't huge fans of it. But I am so, and you are as well. It sounds so. That's that's uh, that's all that matters on this show, right? But uh, Pat, before yeah, exactly. before we call it quits for this Saturday edition, I know you mentioned you ran into uh, an old trainer at UW, David Nissenbaum, uh, uh, this week. You want to you want to tell a little story about what yeah, happened? Yeah, well, there? It's, I just thought it was kind of cool. You know, you wonder sometimes what happens. Uh, Individuals that are in the athletic department and uh, when they're coming out of school and just uh, getting started and things like this. And David was part of the medical training, uh, sports medicine staff, and and 
and we everybody used to get a big kick out of him because he had a great personality, and so kind of lost track a little bit. And Hobby Diamond needed some physical therapy, and and he's running a pro therapy out in Middleton, and uh, some interesting doing some interesting stuff. So David is, uh, just wanted to mention that he's a really good story. He's very successful, busy as the condition as as he all be. His wife Jill is uh, still on the sports medicine staff and associate professor, I think, at the university. Oh, wow. And so uh, done very well and uh, still helping people. And uh, But it's good to see his success come to him. And uh, I just wanted to mention it because that's we rarely find out what happens to some of the people. But in this case, it was a great story. Yeah, I imagine it's uh, you worked with so many people in that building over the years, Pat. It's I imagine it's really cool to say, oh, yeah, look at that. It's the first time I've seen you. And I imagine, what, 20 years, Pat, something like that, 10 years? Yeah, it's probably been. I've seen him once or twice over the last twenty years, probably a couple of times, and okay. uh, it's good to see somebody that can uh, help you with your body problems. Put it that way. <laughs> True that. We we are very grateful for doctors and physical therapists, or else uh, or else we'd all be screwed. Isn't that the truth? Well, this exactly. has been another uh, another fun edition of the Pat Richter Show. My headache is gone now, Pat. I hope yours is as well. Always appreciate our conversation, buddy, and we'll do it again like, next week. Like our old. Tr- trainer doc bach he said if you got a headache just tape an aspirin to your wrist and take a glass of water and that's what it is <laughs> it'll take care of it well there you go i will i will i will take that into consideration pat we'll do it again next week thanks as always okay good night alex this has been the pat richter show here on 100.5 espn the espn app and wisconsin on demand